Welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Seppi. I am excited to welcome back Pat Lanny from NJ Advanced Media. He covers Rutgers. You can find his work on NJ.com. Pat, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So you're coming off a game where Rutgers really was competitive with Ohio State for a while there. Rutgers played a pretty good game against Ohio State. I think uh, it caught a lot of people by surprise. Um, But if you've been following Rutgers this year, they're a lot like Iowa, uh, right? They play great defense and the running game is is very strong. So I, I think for people that have been following, it wasn't all that shocking. But I think people that hear Rutgers being competitive with Ohio State, that shocks a lot of people. Well, let's start with the running game. You have in Piscataway, the Big Ten leader in rushing yards. This seems to be a team that, you know, when they run the ball effectively, good things happen. 100%. The whole Rutgers game plan, strategy, identity revolves around Kyle Manungai, the tailback you're referencing there. He is just five, five foot eight. And just so good after contact that and and he wears down defenses and he's been doing it all season long. We had a big question coming into the Ohio State game. Could he do it against a really elite defense? Because Michigan kind of shut him down and Wisconsin held him to, I think, like 30 something yards. Um, But then he ran for like 135 against Ohio State. And that kind of opened our eyes and said, all right, this is this is legit. He is the Big Ten's leading back rusher leading rusher for a reason and uh it's it's been part it's been success parlayed by success parlayed by success so i'm really interested to see how it stacks up against what should be a terrific iowa defense is there anything that any opposing defenses have figured out in terms of at least slowing him down when you when you stop the run right you put more guys in the box right and that and that's the thing that uh defenses are doing uh, they're they're putting eight guys in the box and forcing Rutgers to throw. And still, uh, like I said, he's a great after yards after contact guy. And Rutgers quarterback Gavin Wimsett can run too, which also puts pressure on the defense. So I think the big key to Rutgers in this game against Iowa is how effectively can Wimsett throw the ball and, and can he prevent making the back-breaking interception, which has cost them in all three Rutgers losses. It seems like Wimsett, his throwing when he's not on his feet is probably a little more shaky. That's uh, certainly a true statement. Uh, his completion percentage is the lowest in FBS football, but I will give him a lot of credit from this aspect. Rutgers had one of the worst offenses in the country last year. There were 100, I think 28th in total offense, right around the same boat in scoring, but he's managed the offense with his legs and and really Rutgers has simplified the offense to, to be a run first offense where he just makes simple throws and keeps the chains moving. And if he can do that, that's the identity of this offense. And that's what Rutgers wants to do. Defensively, this seems to be a Rutgers team that can really keep teams in check. Kind of like, as you were saying, kind of like Iowa. Yeah. And a lot of that, we, we knew coming into this year that Rutgers was going to return a lot of guys on defense that had experience that were pretty high level performers last season that got some recognition, but of course not all big 10 caliber players, because at the end of the day, they were four and eight. 
Um, the thing with Rutgers defense last year was that it didn't have the depth necessary to hang around for four quarters. Um, but what you're seeing this year is that the depth is, has, has, is better. The depth is better. And all those returners had a year more experience and they're playing at a high level. So Rutgers legitimately is a, a top 20 defense in almost every category. And, uh, Last week against Ohio State, you saw what the secondary is capable of. They held Marvin Harrison Jr. to three catches. Emeka Egbuka only had, uh, I think, four. And and really, it was it was tough sledding for the Ohio State offense outside of Trevion Henderson, who broke free for a couple of big plays. That was really the difference. Is there anything that is kind of the weakness for this Rutgers defense as you see it? <laughs> you know what? Like, honestly, it's such a... And and when I watch Iowa, it's the same thing, right? They collect, they play so well collectively and they tackle and swarm. Um, the one thing that if I had to pick something, and this is really grasping at straws because I I think I don't even really want to be too critical of this defense because they are playing so well. But one thing that we thought they would be better at was getting after the quarterback. Um, you know, they have two really good defensive ends, Aaron Lewis and Wesley Bailey. Um, they've just had a hard time getting pressure with three or four guys but Rutgers is a big blitzing team and they get after the quarterback that way but I think bringing pressure with four guys is the one thing that I I could say they need to improve on and I don't think it would be a complete Iowa Rutgers preview if we didn't hit on special teams <laughs> absolutely. absolutely so you no longer have Adam Korsak who was an incredible punter sure. what has the post Corsac punting looked like in Piscataway. Well, you guys have certainly experienced the Tory Taylor mania for the last couple of seasons. So you understand yes. at least what it's like to have an Adam Corsac as your punter. Now, post Corsac, the post Corsac era, PKE, uh, I would say is, is with Flynn Appleby as the punter, another Australian, and he's done a great job. The difference is, Rutgers isn't necessarily um, going to win games by punting the way that Iowa can, or the way that it could have the last couple of years with Corsac punting. Flynn Appleby has done a terrific job. Don't get me wrong. He's just not a game changing punter because there have probably been five game changing punters in the history of college football. Two of them played in the game last year. <laughs> it was like the punt-a-thon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was, a, and, and Iowa opened it up so easily last year with, the, with its defense that it almost, you didn't get to see the true, the true power of Adam Corsak last year, but maybe the year before was his really special game against Iowa or two years before that. It's not very often that you say, Hey, you wish you saw the punter more. <laughs> yeah. But that sure. really was like the biggest unique thing about last year's game i also love pke that's really catchy it rolls off the top sure sure yeah the pre-corsac era coined right here on the hawk off the press podcast and then field goal range wise kind of what's that situation for rutgers um jay patel is the kicker he is on pace to have uh, one of the most accurate seasons in uh, a long time at Rutgers. He's, uh, he's uh, I think, at 86% overall. Um, he's very good inside 45, very accurate. He doesn't have a huge leg, 
and he's not the kickoff guy. Rutgers has another strong leg kicker, Jude McAtamney, who kicked last year all field goals. Um, but he's kind of more their distance kicker that you may see on a 55-yard attempt. But Jay Patel has been the guy from 50 and in. And it, it's actually a pretty interesting situation, like a two-kicker system, which is just Rutgers to a, to a T, like a team that really, <laughs> truly cares about special teams. And um, not against Ohio State, but the two games before that, Indiana and Michigan State, Rutgers scored touchdowns on special teams. Um, blocked punt against Indiana and a what it was a the punter dropped the snap against Michigan State that Rutgers recovered in the end zone. So both plays really changed the game. And that's what Rutgers wants to do. They want to play great defense, run the ball, and play great special teams. It doesn't get more simpler than that. The over-under for this game is unbelievably low. I think I've seen a couple different things from a couple different places, but like 28 and a half, I think I saw one place. Yeah. I think this game could still be an under, even below 28 and a half, as crazy as that is to say. It it certainly looks that way on paper, and you can probably tell me this better because I always had what now three games this season that have set records for the lowest over under. I think it started with the Minnesota line and if I was following that correctly, but yeah, I, I, by all accounts, these two teams are very similar. They're defensive oriented and, and obviously have great running games and lack passing ability. Do you have a score prediction yet? that's tomorrow for for our podcast um <laughs> but i have been i have been since our preseason prediction i i circled iowa and i said there's something about this game that i have a feeling that ruckers has a good shot and this was before ruckers came out and got bowl eligible and all these other things um but i will say this i am taking ruckers to win this one i haven't i haven't come up with a score yet but since I'm here on the Hawk Off the Pet Press podcast, let me be the first to say I'm going to take Rutgers 17 to 10, right, right under the under. <laughs> that will make some people very happy or very not happy in Vegas. Sure. I think this is could be a really competitive game. I have Iowa winning, but I'm saying 13-12, which of course requires a little bit of gymnastics in terms of score well you just saw that that awesome game of offense between northwestern and iowa so how could you how could you predict anything other than a than a 10-7 or or anything low scoring under 20 points i asked a couple players at Rutgers this week what it said will the first team to 20 win this game and they just kind of looked at me and laughed and we're like well we know that points are going to be tough to come by so um, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's going to be a very close game. Um, I think the difference is that Rutgers is running the ball at a really, a really, really good level right now. And I think the defenses are kind of equal. So I think just Rutgers has a slight edge on offense. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. That's for sure. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I think it's a great one. And I think it's a great opportunity for Rutgers to to score a signature win that they haven't in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, you think about it, I was right there to win the West. Uh, Rutgers has never beaten Iowa and uh, this would be a huge statement win for the program for sure. Well, Pat, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, John. I appreciate it. It's always fun. 
I am now excited to welcome back to the Hawk Off the Press podcast, Dave Diani, head coach of Iowa soccer. I should say the Big Ten tournament champion Iowa soccer team. Dave, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me, John. I'm really excited to be back. So quite the Big Ten tournament run, starting with that Michigan State game you had just lost to them to end the regular season. What was kind of the message to the team to kind of pivot from the loss to end the regular season to that first opening match there in Columbus? Yeah, you know, I think I was just on the Big Ten Network talking, speaking about this, and I think, you know, it was actually pretty fortuitous for us to be able to play the same opponent a week later. Specifically, we weren't happy with our performance and not take not, not taking anything away from Michigan State, but just felt like we didn't have the right mentality. We didn't come to the game with the right mindset. And when you do that in this league, in this conference, you're going to get punished. So uh, the ability to kind of like rip the bandaid off mentality and hey, let's just we got we're going to play them again in seven days um, and see if we can come with a bit better mentality. Can we come with a better uh, understand really quickly where we went wrong? Um, and, you know, I think honestly, a little bit like what we're trying to avoid right now, big, you know, Michigan state won the big 10 championship that day on the field in front of us. So can we get them with a little bit of a, a championship hangover? And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of our team. I, I, we asked, we asked them to be, um, you know, the best, the toughest fighter in the alley on that day. You know, both of our teams are pretty tough, competitive and gritty. And I think the other part is reminding them we had only lost four games all year. We're a pretty good team um, and arguably the best conference in the country, or at least the deepest. So I think that kind of sobering message, like it's never as good as you think it is and certainly never as bad as you think it is. And uh, that I think brought us a little bit back to ground zero and um you know, it started a lot, John, with trying to win enough games to get in the NCAA tournament. Cause I think I thought we needed one more game with Michigan State for sure. And then it turned into why not just try to win the whole thing? And uh that's easier said than done, but that was kind of our mission. I remember the semifinal game, the clip of you at the end there kind of made the rounds on social media. What was kind of that moment? Was that kind of the point where you realized? Okay, pretty well positioned for NCAAs now. You know, I thought we were going to make the NCAA tournament uh, after Michigan State game, but you never know when you bring in a committee um, of opinions and what are they looking at. So, and you have to have respect for that. Um, but absolutely, that was that was the probably the one moment for me personally that thought, okay, nail in the coffin, we've made the tournament. Um, and also, you know, I ultimately the biggest thing, though, too, John, was I thought we played really well that game. I thought, you know, Penn State is such an incredible opponent coached by a great group of people. I uh, really like their coaching staff. And I thought we outplayed them from pretty much start to finish. And that has not happened in our program with teams like that ever. Um, and that maybe was a turning point for where we're going 
as a program and a culture and also expecting to win some of those games. So yeah, maybe it was a personal kind of sigh of relief for me, but it was also, wow. Okay. Like these women did something pretty special. Can we finish the job on Sunday? And then if I'm doing my math right, I think this year's senior class were probably freshmen when you won the 2020 big 10 tournament. Yeah, you. Uh, I think you're you're right. So not all of them played uh, that ro- a big role, but Macy, Riley, Fetty, Zoe Besser, Maggie Johnson, um, uh, and I know I'm missing one person. Uh, Mike Engels were all seniors, and Josie Durr, obviously, but she's a seventh year. Um, we're all so we have very few players. But that's something we've talked spoke about in the last month or two is you know, we have very few that know how to win. They want to win. They're really, they work really hard, but they don't know how to. And um, that's something I think the Michigan state game really did for a lot of our, our players that have are, are a little bit more inexperienced. Ellie Otto, Kenzie Rowling, really good players. They've never won at this level yet. So we're, that's a learned, that's a learned skill. The thing that people kept on bringing up to me is, wow, Dave really knows how to have his teams playing at their best at the right time of year. What's the key to having that? I'm sure that's something that just doesn't happen by accident. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's very kind. I mean, I think that we talk a lot about investing in the process and you're not going to be the final product. You hope you're never going to be the final product. You want to keep investing in growing and developing. And honestly, I, I think I, I, I've i always been that way as a coach. Um, and, you know, you're going to have some good days. You're going to have some bad days. But if you have four good days in a week, it's still a pretty good week. And I think sometimes you can get caught up in the highs and lows of life. But athletics, athlete or athletics, and because uh, there's so much emotion in it, and if you can kind of be steady, Eddie, and grow and get better, good things happen. And I think we try to fight the the urge to try to look at. We speak even when I was at Grand Valley State, we were making Final Fours, eight Final Fours in eleven years. We spoke about being a national champion on day one, and that's it. We, we then just try to invest in the process of getting better. So that, I think, investing in the process, you know, making sure that you don't get too high and too low um, and focusing on, you know, if you have four good days in, out of seven in a week, that's a pretty darn good week. And helping each other, you know, follow along with that kind of process. So um, I, I think that I learned a lot from – I've I've been that coach in the past, but I learned a lot from people like Lisa Bluter and Terry Brands and Kirk Ferentz and um, Fran McCafferty, who are Lisa Salucci, who are all driven by the same by the same you know philosophy and um, hard work helps get you there. And then, kind of looking ahead with NCAA tournament play, how helpful is it when you have? I think it's three different players with at least five goals, where you have kind of that balanced scoring threat there? Well, I think this team is like, we don't score at a really high rate, but we have a lot of people who can score and have. And so I think when you're looking at it, I think Bucknell is a very good team and they're driven by two or three different players. 
but there are also very blue collar all over the the board. But I think we have 16 or 17 players that all look alike and they all have the ability to be the star on the day or at least be on the forefront of, of, of leading us. You know, the final it was Josie Durr, you know, in the, in the semifinal, it was Kelly McGordy, um, you know, in the final, Sophia Bush and Kelly and but early in the year, it was Eliotto, you know, like, and, and I think if you're looking at statistics, we have a lot of different people, but I think a lot of our team are driven off of hard work and investing for each other. And that's kind of cool. How much is this an opportunity to kind of make a statement for the program now that you're at this stage to maybe have some success and take this to the next level? Well, I think, I think for us, it's, it's, it's slippery slope to be able to think like that because then you start looking too far in the future. I think for us, it's holistically happened. You know, when we made our run in 2019, we had a really good 2014 recruiting class. Um, or sorry, 2024 class. When we made a run again the next year after that, uh, in the COVID year where we lost to UCLA in the second round, donors and fan base went through the roof and we got a brand new building. So I think it happens if you invest in the process. And for us, what we are excited about is being able to host an NCAA game for the first time ever. But we're, we're excited about it because all these people who work really hard, they're out on our field right now, you know, cutting the grass, edging the lawn, right, painting the field. These people deserve to get attention. And they're really hardworking Iowa folks who just bleed black and gold. So having the fans come, and I think we're going to have a huge fan base, tonight, you know, tomorrow night. So I, to me, that's what's really important. I also do believe we are a top 40 program and I want to stay in there. And I think that will happen with results. So first kick six o'clock against Bucknell. What's your, if somebody's on the fence about whether to make it out there on Friday, what's your case for coming out? Well, I think if you're an Iowa fan, you got to be out here. I think, uh, you know, there's going to be other teams that are going to be here. The entire athletic department's going to be here. To be honest, a lot of the state of Iowa is going to be here, especially with the youth soccer program. I think you're going to see a good game. I think you're if you're coming to see a game, you're going to have two two very blue collar teams that are that Bucknell's won three Patriot leagues in a row, so they're a good team. We have a lot of respect for them, but you're going to see uh, you're going to see some Iowa Hawkeye soccer players that are going to be fighting and scrapping for every everything they they can get, and they're going to play with pride, and they're going to play with passion, and they're going to play for the people that are that have followed them all year long, but also for the new fan that came and doesn't know what they're going to get to see. Um, I want, we want to try to create a fan base that's, that is sweeping across the entire state. Um, and I think it'll be pretty easy to win them over. If you can come out and come to the game at six o'clock tomorrow night. Well, Dave, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me, John. It was great again. Yes. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into another episode until next time we will talk Hawks later. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. 
Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.